African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. It's great to be back here on African Dialogue. Remember, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, let me actually move on. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at our follow-up story on the BRICS uh, Development Bank. We'll be looking at what came out of the discussions and what will this particular development bank actually do for uh, the continent. But uh, hey, let's move on and get our news from Anne Musa. In the headlines, Burundians vote in a presidential election amid gunfire and grenade blasts. Ugandan civil groups say a proposed laws intended to gag them ahead of presidential polls and ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi to appeal his death sentence. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Despite reports of overnight violence in Burundi in which two people were killed, polling stations opened on time for the country's presidential election. Opposition parties earlier urged voters not to participate in the election in which President Pierre Nkurunziza is seeking a third term in office. Seraki Mane reports. After a night of explosions and gunfire in the capital, Bujumbura, voters recalled to the police stations to elect a president. Streets are deserted and shops are closed. The main opposition has boycotted and the incumbent, President Kian Kurunzinza, is assured of an outright win. Nkurunzinza is running for a third term despite protests by his opponents who say he's breaking the law. There are 3.8 million registered voters. Burundian opposition politician Agathon Rawasa has denied this credible opposition against President Pierre Kurunziza after the Electoral Commission said there were eight presidential candidates. Those one are just puppets. They are not candidates for the, the opposition. We for, from the opposition, we are suppressed. We are threatened to, to be killed any time. So will he try to crush people 
who are meaningless to him, who have no support, who have no strength in politics. I think what is they are trying to advance as argument is just a nonsense. Civil society organizations in Uganda say a proposed new law to regulate the activities is intended to stifle freedom ahead of next year's presidential elections. Veteran President Yuri Museveni is seeking another term in office. Critics say the government is using a range of tactics, including harsh legislation and repeated arrests of Museveni's opponents and their supporters to intimidate the opposition. The law currently being scrutinized by a parliamentary committee requires all civil society organizations in the country to be registered afresh. Egypt's ousted President Mohamed Morsi is set to appeal the death sentence handed down to him for allegedly plotting jailbreaks and attacks on police during the country's 2011 revolution. A member of Morsi's legal team, Mohamed al-Damati, says the defense is preparing to appeal. Morsi, along with 105 others, was sentenced to death in May for a mass prison break in 2011. Cholera in South Sudan has spread to another state with at least 39 people dead since an outbreak was declared last month. South Sudan's health ministry declared an outbreak of the disease on the 23rd of last month. Although the first case was tracked back to a UN camp in the capital, Juba, on the 18th of May. Last year, 167 people died in a cholera outbreak that was later contained. Recapping the top stories, Burundians vote in a presidential election amid gunfire and grenade blasts. Ugandan civil groups say a proposed law is intended to gag them ahead of presidential polls and ousted Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi to appeal his death sentence. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us here. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for listening to us on DSTV on Channel 902. And if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're doing a follow-up story. Last week we did a review uh, when this uh, particular uh, gathering of the BRICS was taking place in uh, Russia. And uh, really, we were looking at the establishment and the launch of the BRICS Bank, and uh, it's going to be headquartered in Shanghai. Well, today we're going to really be looking at some of the outcomes that came out from this particular BRICS uh, gathering, but really focus on what will the BRICS Bank offer to South Africa and also to the continent. The BRICS Group of Emerging Economies has launched its new development bank in Shanghai, as I mentioned. The bank 
is backed by Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa and we know it's collectively known as BRICS countries. The institution will lend money to developing countries to help finance infrastructure projects. It's also an alternative to the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, although the group says it's not a rival. It's also just an alternative to that particular way of lending. Now today on the program we're looking at what South African business leaders and business in general uh, could leverage from the BRICS Bank. In studio I've got Mr. Sandy Lezung who is the Executive Chairman of Zico Investing Holding and also a member of the SA Chapter BRICS Business Council. On the line I also have Peggy Drotsky who is uh, the Chief Executive of the South African Chamber of Commerce. But I want to start with you uh, Mr. Sandy Lezungu. In terms of uh, South Africa and the rest of the continent because we know South Africa is not standing hands in isolation when it comes to the BRICS uh, format, format. But as a country, what can we actually achieve through this particular new bank? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. Um, the the birth of the new development bank, um, or the so-called BRICS development bank, is, mm-hmm. uh, is a very important uh, and a, a milestone achievement of uh, this gathering mm-hmm. of um, nations, BRICS. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Africa is uh, just like all these other countries. Uh, we deem ourselves to be a developing nation, mm. and uh, by very nature, you know, uh, among other needs, uh, uh, need to roll out infrastructure, rail, roads, mm. even um, call it a human settlements, mm. you know, which uh, are, are particularly important for South Africa because our claim to membership of BRICS is that. Uh, among others, we bring uh, almost a billion of African people into this gathering of uh, nations. Mm. And therefore, connectivity for South Africa, for South Africa's economy into the region, is something that will benefit immensely from the big pass that mm. the BRICS Development Bank has. Mm. So we'll be envisaging that um, some of the road, rail, water, um, electrification, infrastructure, um, which link us to the rest of the Southern African Development Community economy, uh, will not tap into these resources. Mm. Let me move on to uh, Peggy Trotsky, uh, who is the Chief Executive of the South African Chamber of Commerce. Thank you for joining us on the program, Peggy. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. From the perspective of commerce and business, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of lucrative opportunities when it comes to these these new movements from the BRICS, especially with the development of this particular bank. Uh, What are your views and your thinking behind this particular bank? What opportunities does it represent for uh, South Africa and the rest of the continent. We heard uh, uh, Mr. Sandy Lezunga highlighting some infrastructural developments that could be made in that regard. And I think one of the most important things is, in fact, what um, he has referred to, which is the infrastructure development. And if we have a look back just a couple of weeks when NERSA said to Eskom, you can't have that extra money that you applied for, and immediately the thought came to mind that with infrastructure development and the development of the BRICS Bank, that it would offer an opportunity for Eskom to start alleviating the problems that we are facing with our our electricity. Mm. 
But I think we also need to bear in mind that it's not only the SADC region that is important. We've just signed a free trade agreement, the tripartite agreement with the Comesa, the EAC and SADC. And obviously that is something which takes us far further into Africa than just the SADC region. And we're not going to be able to develop that appropriately unless we actually get that north-south corridor, which is the communications, it is rail, it is road, it is air, it is ICT, it is energy, it is water, uh, initially from Dar es Salaam through to Durban, but finally predicated to be from Cairo all the way to Cape Town. And a bank such as the BRICS Bank is going to be enormously important in being able to provide some funding for these projects which need it in order to get that free trade area going as well. Now, uh, let me also move on to uh, Kutuchalo Ramukumba, who's the CEO of the NYTA. Uh, in terms of the involvement of youth development, I know it's also a, an important aspect of uh, uh, this particular project because uh, we're seeing uh, large numbers of youth populations on the continent and also there is a need to invest in young people. Does the BRICS uh, makeup actually accommodate young people? I know that uh, uh, NYTA has been involved in this aspect of uh, BRICS. Um, uh, thank you very much, uh, Benjamin, and uh, to your listeners. Um, the the idea of youth involvement was uh, quite an important one. Uh, actually, what happened in the summit, or rather before the summit of the heads of the state, was that uh, we had the inaugural uh, youth summit, uh, which was uh, a gathering of all young people from all these BRICS countries, so that we can begin to shape and formulate an approach on how the, the, the relationship of the BRICS countries can begin to benefit young people. And this is more important for us, as you've correctly alluded, because we're a youthful nation and we know that we'll remain a youthful nation for many years to come. So the idea of the inaugural summit was to then craft uh, the priorities for, for young people and how we see young people benefiting from the relationship of the BRIC countries, uh, both economically and otherwise, and uh, you know, craft a position from a youth perspective on how we think that this government uh, must take forward our issues as young people, which we then uh, uh, submitted to the meeting of the heads of the states, uh, which was to take issues forward uh, at a country-to-country level. Akutushel, staying with you, in terms of those particular outcomes, what were they? What were uh, the issues that you dealt with? How could you create a better relationships for young people between these BRICS countries, especially in uh, the area of entrepreneurship? Look, uh, one, one of the resolutions that uh, we took uh, uh, as young people was, for an example, that uh, uh, we need to uh, find ways of ensuring that we explore opportunities through market linkages, uh, looking at uh, what do young people in South Africa who are involved in the uh, commercial space or in business, what do they have to offer, what can they offer in the developmental needs of Russia, India, uh, and all the other countries, and the, the visa uh, the visa visa vis-a-vis what those other countries can also offer us in our developmental needs as a country as South Africa. But uh, some of the concrete uh, resolutions that young people took was, for an example, that uh, the BRICS Development Bank needs to have um, a youth fund within it to make sure that uh, young people in the BRICS countries who want to go into business are able to be assisted with with the capital that they need in order to participate in the development of their own countries, but equally the development of the other fellow countries within the BRICS uh, uh, cooperative agreement. And one of the other things was that uh, 
within the various councils uh, that are there within the BRICS structure. Uh, the Business Council was identified by Young People as a critical uh, council, which Young People have said that they want participation or at least representation in that council so that when issues of business are discussed at the level of, um, of, of country to country, uh, young people are directly represented and they are able to raise issues. This will be supported by um, a continuous engagement which we have agreed on that uh, every year uh, youth representatives uh, will meet from all the best countries to identify priority areas for a particular given year or a particular given period which must then find expression. Mm, mm. There was also a, 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 a resolution on a representation within the actual board of the BRICS Development Bank for young people to, to make sure that youth issues are taken into account at all times. Mm. Now, let me move on to Kenya and uh, we've got Sarah Ambrose who's the Head of Policy Research and Advocacy in Action Aid joining us there. Uh, it's, it's very interesting what we're talking about then. I think a lot is surrounding itself around infrastructural development and uh, we know this is uh, uh, the actually the, the focus that's going to be about this new development bank. I'm looking at an article right now by Naeem Jena who's an executive director of the Afro Middle East Center and that is based in South Africa. And Naeem highlights that despite the best intentions of many, the work of the World Bank and International Monetary Fund has consistently fallen short of its aim to provide development assistance for the most marginalized people. Uh, Coming to you, sir, and how do we make sure that this bank actually reaches the needs of uh, the people of the continent, that it's Afrocentric and it's people-centric? Yeah, um, that is indeed a key question for the New Development Bank. And uh, I think we need to learn from the lessons of the World Bank and the other large multilateral development banks um, to say that uh, we have a chance here to do something different. And to return to your previous uh, guest's uh, comments about uh, youth entrepreneurship, just to take that as an example, uh, it is, has been very hard for the multilateral development banks uh, to fund that sort of activity because they concentrate on very uh, mega-large loans for infrastructure and so on and are not uh, as good at providing loans for services or targeted at specific marginalized populations. In fact, they often contract with banks in the country to provide those, and they provide rather little oversight uh, for the smaller loans that come through their funding. Uh, So we end up with a situation where banks are basically getting uh, money to lend uh, under certain conditions, but there's there's little else that's different about it from what's already available in the country. So we need the New Development Bank to be more attentive to what is needed on the ground from youth to women. Uh, and to others who have been marginalized by the development processes so far. Very interesting views. Coming back to you, uh, uh, Mr. Sandy Lezungu, uh, very interesting views coming there from Soren Ambrose saying, hey, s- sometimes when it comes to these uh, big banks, they do fund big mega projects and infrastructural projects, but they're not microscopic. They don't look at uh, uh, really the smaller issues, the micro-level issues that we need to deal with when it comes to development. How do we approach this bank in a different way that actually balances the issues of macro issues and micro issues? Well, as, as, a, as a BRICS Business Council, mm. um, we, we have impressed upon, call it uh, the, the, the champions, call it the, the patrons, mm. 
uh, or the principles of the BRICS Development Bank that um, it has to impact on small businesses mm. because there is evidence, ample evidence, global evidence that says most of uh, employment creation comes from SMMEs mm. and most of the economic growth that we expect going forward will be unleashed by the SME sector. And therefore, if the intention of the BRICS Development Bank is to catapult our economies to greater, um, to a better trajectory of growth, and to uh, resolve youth unemployment, which is endemic amongst our economies, mm. um, and to resolve employment in general, um, the, the, the lowest hanging fruit is M- SME sector. And therefore, it addresses the point that was raised by a previous speaker. Mm. Um, and SME sector are generally looking for... For, for small loans, mm. uh, they want access to market, and they impact immensely on employment. Mm. Um, however, let's not um, you know, make a mistake and think that the BRICS Development Bank, the $10 billion from each um, nation, will be directed towards SME sector. SME mm. sector will therefore have to uh, fight in their corner. Stake, um, yeah. But most mm. important, they must fight for market access. Mm. They must make sure that the development of the supply chains of these large corporations, mm. large uh, institutions that will benefit from the lending of the BRICS Development Bank, mm. has the SME sector in mind. And therefore, the you know, for lack of a better word, I hate to use the, 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 the trickle-down. Mm. Um, but um, the trickle-down effect of uh, such lending has got to have a positive impact on SMEs. Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break. The time right now is 21 minutes past 11 o'clock. I have Mr. Sandy Lezungu, the Executive Chairman of the Zika Investment Holding, also a member of the SA Chapter BRICS Business Council. And we also have Peggy Trotsky, who's joining us on the line, the Chief Executive of the South African Chamber of Commerce. And on the line, we also have Kututselo Ramokumba, the CEO of NYDA. We're going to let him go because he has to go to another meeting but staying with us for the rest of our conversation we have uh, Soren Ambrose who's the head of policy research and advocacy at Action Aid in Kenya I'm going to come back to some of the issues that were raised uh, by uh, uh, Sandy Lezungu uh, with you Peggy and find out how we can actually create the balance your views there let's take a quick break what do you think uh, actually we can do to make sure that hey there's also a transparent process in how this BRICS process takes place this whole BRICS development bank how do you and I know where the tenders are going? Uh, actually, what projects are being funded by this particular development bank? How do you think we can create that particular system as ordinary Africans? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's take a quick break. Would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is African Dialogue. Today, we bring you uh, really the issue of the BRICS Development Bank. Looking back at that BRICS summit in Russia, we were looking at it last week, just projecting into what does it mean for the continent. But uh, uh, we're going to continue on this particular aspect and continue with this conversation. Let me see if I've got Peggy Drotsky there on, on the line. I think we've lost someone there on the line. I think uh, we've lost, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Kututsi. Hello, Ramukumba, uh, who actually we've lost on the line. And uh, let me carry on with you, uh, uh, Mr. Sandy Lezungu, while we sort out that issue on our lines. In terms of uh, the process of development and how these uh, projects will actually be undertaken, I was speaking about will we have tender processes and how will we ensure that uh, the whole process is transparent and is actually benefiting the continent itself or a country like South Africa? Well, that, that's a very important question you are raising. Mm. You know, um, what would be the tenets um, of the British Development Bank? Mm. Uh, clearly, the tenet of uh, transparency, um, the tenet of uh, people involvement, people centricism, um, is going to be quite critical mm. um, if the credibility of the British Development Bank will be established, especially among uh, people of the South, as it were, mm. and if it is to distinguish itself from the workings of the world uh, sorry of the uh, world bank for example mm. and uh, other institutions like the IMF um transparency and people involvement would be quite important mm. Mm. but having said that um most development banks don't operate on the basis where uh, you know uh, tender processes okay involving ordinary people these are large scale contracts mm, mm. you'll you'll, pro- you'll probably discover that um one of the projects that uh, south africa or southern africa may be interested in is a large scale um energy generation project mm. um by its nature it involves tens of billions of of rands um and you know it's got to be managed professionally and um and the people who may be interested in it as contractors primary contractors will be large scale contracting companies who may also be multinationals mm-hmm. it's really beyond that primary contracting that you'll therefore have people interested in who supplies cement who supplies wheelbarrows uh, who supplies um wiring mm-hmm. uh, material um once you break it down to minute uh, contracts mm. where ordinary small contractors may be interested, they believe they can add value. Mm. It's mm. then that greater transparency is required. It's then uh, at that level where you need uh, structures put in place mm. to ensure that people have interest but also have knowledge on how to uh, register and show interest. Mm. But um, having said that, the, the, the modalities are being worked out. Mm. Uh, the vice presidents and the executive of the British Development Bank have just been appointed. Maybe for the next year, all that they will be doing is not only to set up structures, identify offices, mm. enter into rental agreements, but also to set up policies and to debate these things. Mm. Um, it's only probably in about a year's time that you'll start hearing about the first projects funded by the Development Bank. Mm. And it's then that we'll be able to know exactly what sort of projects the British Development Bank wants to fund and um, in what manner 
are they going to distinguish themselves from their peers elsewhere? Mm. Let me go back to to you, Peggy Droski, there uh, from the South African Chamber of Commerce. In terms of that aspect of things, in terms of who benefits and uh, uh, who should actually benefit from the process itself, what, what what's your view there? Well. We certainly are very, very keen that the um, younger people and the entrepreneurs do get a bite of the cake. And for us, I think one of the most important BRICS structures is the International Forum of Young Scientists and Entrepreneurs. And I'm really looking at um, the entrepreneur side for the smaller and um, organizations. And hopefully when they have their meeting in September, they will be able to come up with some proposals on how they would be able to slot in with the benefits that the BRICS Bank would be able to offer. But I think we also need to look at the young scientists because it is the young scientists who are the people that are coming up with innovation. And innovation obviously is going to be very important for us in the continent and for South Africa. And it's often been said that when it comes to ICT that we are actually in a fortunate position where we can, in South Africa, get the newest technology. We don't need to go through the long process which the more developed countries have gone. And this is where the young scientists have actually got a very keen role to play. So we certainly hope that when they have their meeting from the 24th to the 26th of September, that some very concrete recommendations are going to come out from the people that are involved at that level themselves. And coming back to you, Kutitelo Ramukumba from uh, the NYDA, I'm sure that uh, we need to also kind of diversify uh, how we actually look at these issues and how we actually let a youth understand the context of what we're talking about here in terms of these particular uh, issues of the New Development Bank. What are you doing as an organization to actually incorporate young people like uh, uh, Peggy was highlighting, we need to get young innovators, young scientists to actually also be part of the futuristic take that these projects are taking on because we're looking at uh, uh, 10-year goals, 20-year goals right now as a continent as we were speaking about in infrastructural um, projects that we're dealing with. What's your view there, Katu? Look, uh, w- what we have done uh, in the fence systems when we went to the inaugural youth uh, BRICS summit it was to ensure that we, 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 we get representative of young people from across all sectors. So we had young people from uh, public sector institutions, we had young people from civil society organizations, as well as young people in business. The youth chambers were part of our delegation that went to, to Russia for this uh, because we, we, we precisely agree with the sentiments that you're expressing and the sentiments that are being expressed by your, uh, your guests there as well, that uh, young people need to be at the center of this because they represent the future of South Africa and equally the future of the other BRICS nation. So whatever investments that we're making in order to advance our countries, we need to make sure that that investment benefits uh, young people in the sense that they're able to uh, participate in the mainstream economy of their respective countries, more so for us because uh, young people are finding themselves in the greatest challenges facing South Africa, that of poverty, unemployment and inequality. So we we will continue to ensure that uh, in all the discussions that we have and all the engagement that we have in preparations for South Africa and young people of South Africa to take advantage of the opportunities that the BRICS corporations of these nations uh, provide, we get that representation of young people. 
one of the commitments that we have made ourselves from the National Development Agency point of view uh, coming out of the summit in Russia was that we are going to host a session here in South Africa with all the delegates that have been part to the, at the, the, the summit in Russia but also expand it to other uh, youth organizations that may not necessarily have been able to travel with us to Russia so that we begin to break down and unpack all the resolutions, the discussions that have happened in Russia and we kind of develop some kind of a program of action where we can identify low-hanging fruits that can quickly be taken advantage of for the benefit of young people, but also look at long-term projects. Some of these uh, opportunities that we're discussing, like market linkages and opportunities that arises out of the developmental needs of these other BRICS countries will require us mm. to also prepare mm. our young entrepreneurs and capacitate them so that they're able to take advantage of those opportunities. Mm. Well, we're talking about long-term goals as well, but there's also short-term dilemmas uh, in South Africa and the rest of the continent. And uh, the immediate thing you think about then is when you think about energy. By the time South Africa's next generation of nuclear plant comes in line, Kuburg, the only South African commercial nuclear facility, will be six years past its expected lifespan of 40 years. Now, we We've got a, 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 an issue of uh, uh, really this uh, uh, energy crisis. And coming back to you, uh, Peggy, before I go to uh, Mr. Zungu, is the issue of uh, uh, will this particular uh, new development back assist us when it comes to our energy issues uh, in South Africa? We certainly hope that it will, because if we don't have energy, I think we can forget about any sort of development that takes place. It is one of the key infrastructure requirements, not only for South Africa and for the other BRICS nations, but also for the rest of Africa. If you have a look at a map of Africa and see where there are gaps in the provision of energy, it's actually quite startling to see that there are large, large areas in Africa that just do not have energy. And if you don't have energy, you also need to um, be aware that without energy, many of the processes which we require are not going to be possible. And then, of course, not only energy, but we also need to ensure that the logistics side is also um, something that is taken care of. We need all the other good infrastructure in order to ensure that the economies can grow. We need ICT. We need transport infrastructure. We need water. And all of those need to play a big role in the way in which we go forward. And as has been mentioned earlier, these are all major um, projects that need to be taken into account. But there is no need at all to just focus on the large side. As was mentioned earlier, when you're putting in big projects, there are smaller aspects which can be accommodated and where the smaller uh, companies and um, the youth can actually play an important role. Even if it is just, as an example used earlier, providing wheelbarrows, that is at least something which is going to um, improve the infrastructure. Come back to you, Mr. Zungu, in terms of that issue of that electricity uh, aspect and uh, Peggy's highlighting an important element and it's 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 just normal i mean for any projects to take place you need uh, a form base where you can actually get energy to actually roll out those particular uh, infrastructure do you think the development bank will help us in terms of our energy crisis look peggy is absolutely right mm. you know um power mm. is a, 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 a critical component of our development path mm. Now, if we're going to industrialize our economies mm. or re-industrialize our economy in, t- in the case of South Africa, 
power availability, reliable power availability will be very, very important. Mm. And this is not only just for, for high energy users, but also for light manufacturing. Mm. You need power, reliability. It's very important. Because otherwise you will not be able to punch at the right level as South Africa among the leagues of nations. Mm. So there is absolutely no doubt that um, ESCOM must prepare uh, uh, to go to BRICS Development Bank to borrow money. Uh, and I would expect that, um, as was stated at some, st- at some stage last week, Brian is preparing to go to BRICS Development Bank. It may mm. not be now, mm. Uh, mm. but ESCOM will still be in need of borrowing, even in five years' time. Mm. Mm. Um, and therefore, BRICS Development Bank has got to be ready to fund such. And not just for South Africa, mm. there's uh, a lot of um, talk and hype around the INGA project, mm. uh, which is a hydro uh, scheme in, involving a number of countries, including the DRC. Mm. It needs to be taken advantage of. Where will the money come from? Uh, maybe from the World Development Bank. Um, but we'll expect the British Development Bank to play a critical part. You know, in fact, the complementarities between mm. these lending agencies has got to be demonstrated, mm. especially when it comes to large projects like the Inga project. Um, so clearly, energy or power generation will be, and distribution and transmission will be a critical uh, benefactor of a uh, beneficiary of uh, the the practices of the British Development Bank. Mm. And also, we need skills. I mean, we might be speaking about electricity, but we also need skills for this particular thing to uh, to be undertaken. I know just uh, to uh, throw the spin in the works at this stage, South Africa is not producing enough scientists, um, uh, ex- experts in uh, technology and engineering graduates, and uh, we don't have enough scientists and engineers with nuclear experience, and most of them who are experienced are nearly retiring. It's your problem, Kututzelo Ramugumak, because you need to ensure that, hey, young people are actually uh, going into the right sectors at this particular time. What is your organization doing to make sure that we don't have too many actors and, and too many uh, singers uh, in Africa, that we have actually uh, experts who can deal with such large-scale projects? Look, uh, there are a couple of things that we're doing from an NYD perspective uh, internally focused to the South African uh, young people, as it were. One of the things that we're doing is to um, uh, to provide career guidance because what we have noted is that a lot of young people uh, are getting education, but they're getting the wrong education in terms of what the economy needs uh, uh, moving forward. So they therefore are unable to get employment, which is you know, one of the main concerns that we have beyond the question of, you know, breaking new ground, finding new solutions, new ways of doing things better, uh, which then repositions us as a country but assists us to grow our economy a, a little bit faster. So what we've done in redesigning our career guidance offering to young uh, young people who are still at uh, high school level is to look at the National Development Plan, which is a blueprint of where we're going between now and 2030. And we look at what the country and the economy will require to get there, and then we try and guide uh, these young people to make sure that they're in the first instance choosing the right courses. Uh, but also, but how are you? How are you doing that, Kutuzelo? How how, how we, are you doing that? We we are actually visiting schools, uh, and they uh, were offering this career guidance to uh, learners uh, from. From, uh, at high school level, we are targeting in the uh, most importantly young people in rural areas and peri-urban areas because they are actually in the main locked out of this uh, kind of information which enables them to choose the correct subjects. But over and above that, we are also offering a, a scholarship mm-hmm. funds through the Small Masiangu Scholarship Fund, which we established two years ago, which is 
specifically targeting uh, those uh, uh, key areas like uh, the ones that we're talking about here now of, uh, you know, science and technology, of making sure that uh, we, we, we afford these young people an opportunity to be able to go to the best universities and get the best mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. that we, are, we can offer as a country mm-hmm. to make sure that we're able to address this issue that you are raising. If I can just say, also refer to... Okay, very briefly. The, yeah, briefly. The discussions at the BRICS summit, young people, they have even resolved that they would want to push the, the, the BRICS nation to establish a BRICS bank, which would be specifically focusing on research and development uh, to ensure that uh, young people are able to find mm. ways of advancing growth in, our, in the BRICS countries. Sandy, you wanted to say something about this workforce, the skill management issue that we have. Look, the, 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 the success of the BRICS Development Bank um, has stolen the march, but um, an impression may therefore be created that... Um, the BRICS is all about BRICS Development Bank. There's a whole lot of other issues that are happening on the sidelines yeah. and that have happened preceding the BRICS Development Bank. Yeah. As a BRICS Business Council, we're organized into various subcommittees. One of the committees is looking at skills development, um, skills development among the uh, five nations. We are collaborating in terms of how can we make sure that uh, skills development hastens, yeah. is hastened. For example, if Russia is very strong on nuclear technology, how can we make sure that scientists in South Africa can spend more time there learning about this? Mm. If South Africa is very strong on, um, on aerospace, um, how can we ensure that Chinese can come and learn something from South Africa? Mm. Uh, there is obviously great importance on culture. And um, you know, we still need musicians. We still need um, you know, artists. Uh, wonderful. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt that to hasten and to speed up our development, you know, we have got to place specific focus on skills that are lacking, um, and that those tend to be scientific skills. Mm. So indeed, um, even the universities in our various nations are collaborating. I know that for a fact UCT is collaborating with other universities in China, India, Brazil, and Russia um, to ensure that uh, skills development, development uh, in scientific areas in particular, mm. uh, moves from just theory into practice. And they will, you'll, you'll discover that there are many students who have benefited from this collaboration who are already spending time in China, in Russia, uh, stealthily and without much fanfare. So really there is progress in the BRICS nations. Peggy, do we have enough um, manpower? Do we have enough uh, skills on the continent to deal with uh, these big projects that are associated with uh, the new development bank? I'm not convinced yet. You know, unfortunately, we have enough bodies, but the skills are lacking. And I think there are a number of reasons for that. And when you're talking about what's happening within the South African um, education environment, I think one of the areas that we really need to look at is the improvement in the science and mathematics area. And for that, we actually need to have more teachers that are taking up those subjects in order to impart the skills that are needed. So that is an important aspect. Um, We go to the rural areas and um, from the information that we've received is that, and it is particularly in the rural areas where unfortunately the teachers um, that are the math and science teachers tend to be concentrated in the urban areas rather than the rural areas. So we've got to look at that as well. But I think when we get back to the the BRICS bank, um, one of the important things that we need to look at is the way in which the funding from the BRICS bank is going to complement funding which comes from other areas. If we look at entrepreneurial development, we have got a number of 
funds in South Africa. We've got the Empowerment Fund, we've got CIFA, we've got those funds. We need to see how the various banks can complement each other. So while we've got the um, BRICS Bank, which generally speaking, is going to be focusing on the larger projects. We need to have a look at how the other banks and the other funds are able to provide the support to get the skills in to the bigger projects that we've got. So, you know, it's not just a matter of saying, good, we're getting a BRICS bank, now we can start the big infrastructure projects. We need to, it's, it's a big job that we've got to see how we can get all the facets which make up a big project to be correlated and to be complementary to each other. I think that's the theme of this conversation, actually, that we've been having from the beginning. And I think you, you brought the word complementing. How important is that, uh, Sandile? Let's, let's wrap up with you. Of complementing? Of just a, a system that's complementing different areas, whereby we're not just looking at one-dimensional projects, that I- I- even if we yeah. approach a particular project, we make sure that there's those systems that complement that particular project. Does it actually reach the community? Does it affect the populations? How does it actually uh, also, how does that connect to big business issues like sure. that? I think that's, um, so I, I agree with that uh, approach entirely. Uh, because um, for sustainable development and for for people to relate with development, uh, there are certain tenets that are critical. Uh, people-centered, where there is people involvement, where you look at the multiplicity of factors, environment, um, even the, the well-being of uh, ordinary people. Uh, you look at uh, impacting on poverty um, and so on and so forth. And if you do that, then development becomes embedded in communities and they relate with it. I think uh, if the BRICS Development Bank is to distinguish itself, it's got to adopt those tenets which seem to be uh, isolated and which seem to be um, anathema to the practices of the World Development Bank and all those. Well, that's how... that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Sandy Lezungu, the executive chairman of Zico Investment Holding and also a member of the SA Chapter Bricks Business Council. Thank you for coming all the way into our Auckland Park studios. We appreciate you making time for us. Thank you to uh, Peggy Drotsky, who is the chief executive of the South African Chamber of Commerce. And also thank you to Kutuzelo Ramokumba, who is the CEO of the NYDA. And earlier on, we had just a little soundbout from uh, Soren Ambrose, who's the head of uh, policy research and advocacy at Action Aid uh, in Kenya, and he was just giving us that insight about uh, really some of uh, the loopholes that could occur in the new development bank. But it's time for us to move on and get our economics update. Wisani Matebula is standing by. Thanks, Benjamin, and good afternoon. Uh, The BRICS Development Bank has officially started with its operations in Shanghai, China. Leaders from the world's largest emerging nations have launched the new development bank, the second of the two new policy banks heavily backed by Beijing that are being pitched as alternatives to existing institutions, such as the World Bank, also known as the BRICS Bank. It follows soon after the establishment of the China-led Asian Investment Infrastructure Bank. The new bank will fund infrastructure and development projects in BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. 
The Lesotho Chamber of Commerce has expressed concerns uh, regarding the country is losing the benefits of the Africa Growth Opportunities Act uh, owing to the prevailing political and security situation. This despite the fact that the U.S. government last month renewed the AGOA contract, which offers incentives to Africa in a quest uh, to strengthen relations between Africa and the U.S. The Chamber says the renewal does not necessarily guarantee that Lesotho will be part of the agreement. Meanwhile, South African Department of Energy is hosting an open session on energy issues at the meeting of SADC Energy Ministers. The session, held in Johannesburg, starts on Tuesday and will end on Friday. The aim of the meeting is to discuss the achievements and challenges faced by SADC countries. And French telecoms group Orange has uh, entered into an exclusive agreement with Bati Airtel about buying the Indian group subsidiaries in four African countries. The company says uh, the agreement covers Bati Airtel subsidiaries in Burkina Faso, Chad, Congo, Brazzaville and Sierra Leone. The telecoms group says there is no certainty of any binding agreement as a result of these discussions. And finally, South African Revenue Service has confirmed that more than 1 million taxpayers have submitted their tax returns only three weeks after the beginning of this year's tax season. According to SARS, this represents more than 23% of the taxpayers who are required to submit tax returns. Of the tax returns received, 61% were submitted via e-filing, while 39% were filed at SARS branches uh, countrywide. Only 2,600 taxpayers chose to submit via post or drop box. SARS says the response sends out a positive message of compliance by taxpayers and shows that their confidence in the revenue service is still intact. The deadline to submit the tax returns for non-provisional taxpayers is 27 November. And that's your economics news. Time now to move on and get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Today, sports fans, FIFA will hold an extraordinary congress to elect the new president on the 26th of February 2016. FIFA leaders met on Monday to decide on a date for an election to replace President Seb Blatter and reform steps as football's world body confronts its biggest corruption crisis. Seb Blatter was re-elected as president on the 29th of May, but four days later announced his intention to step down amid two investigations into corruption at football's world governing body. Candidates for the position will be nominated before the 26th of October. FIFA's outgoing president, Seb Blatter. On the 27th of uh, February, or 26th, I think it's. 26th. 26th of February, uh, FIFA will have a new president. FIFA will have a new, new president. And uh, I think I will uh, come back uh, to my uh, uh, work, or my, my, it was a little bit my hobby, I have to say, uh, I was uh, as a journalist, but this time I would go to radio. Yes. 
Meanwhile, UEFA's Head of Communications, Pedro Pinto, says four out of six continental soccer confederations would back Michal Platini, head of the European soccer governing body, UEFA, to lead the sports world governing body, FIFA, should he stand. However, Frenchman Platini, who was re-elected for a third term as UEFA president back in March, has not yet decided whether to run for the election to replace outgoing president Seb Blatter on the 26th of February. The UEFA president is very pleased to be in his current position as leader of European football's governing body. Um, He has been pleased to hear a lot of words of support from some of uh, the world's leading football decision makers and that has not gone unnoticed. Um, So he will have to make a decision uh, regarding what his next steps are. He's not ready to make that decision now but he has been impressed by the fact that many people could see him as a possible successor. That's, that's a question that the president himself will, will have to answer. I think that uh, it will be in the, in the coming weeks that he will decide whether he will or he will not uh, run for FIFA president. Pinto says Platini could uh, consider his position in the near future and would announce his intentions when he is ready. He has had a lot of positive conversations here in Zurich. Um, again, he has been very, very pleased to hear a lot of support from some of the most important uh, men in world football. And, uh, of course, that, that means a lot to him. Uh, of course, the fact that people are asking him to run uh, means a lot to him as well. Uh, it's something he will have to decide. It's a, it's a big decision for him. Uh, he loves UEFA. He loves uh, being associated with, with European football's governing body, all the competitions, all the football. So it's a, it's a big decision that he'll have to make soon. Nontarogby New Springbok head coach Hanukkah Mayer will announce an interim captain later this afternoon for the side that will take on New Zealand in the rugby championship clash in Johannesburg on Saturday afternoon. Captain and lock Victor Matfield injured his hamstring in the box match against Australia in Brisbane at the weekend. Matfield as well as flanker Marcel Kotsia underwent scans on Monday to determine the extent of the injuries. Kotsia could or rather took a knock on the knee late in the second half. Mayer is due to announce his team for the encounter against all against the All Blacks on Wednesday. And finally, in golf news, the former Masters champion Zach Johnson now has a claret jacques to add to his green jacket. The American won the Open Championship, finishing 15 under par and defeating Lou Ostazen as well as Mark Lisherman in the playoff. Nick Dar reports. Johnson's a humble man, accepting he's an under-the-radar player but he loves Lynx golf and he's twice before finished top 10 in the Open. The 2007 Augusta champion has enjoyed one of the lowest rounds of the final day, a 66 to soar to the top of the leaderboard. He noted Leishman miss a birdie putt at the last, which could have given the Australian a victory. He saw Oosthuizen, the 2010 champion, birdie 18 to make it a three-man playoff. Johnson then birdied the opening two holes of the four-hole decider and never looked back. Jordan Spieth, chasing a hat-trick of Grand Slam titles, came up just short in fourth. The Irish amateur Paul Dunn faltered on the final day, leaving another American, Jordan Niebrugger, with a silver medal. But the gold medal goes to the champion golfer of the year, Zach Johnson. Those are your sports news at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Well, that's how we wrap it up. What are your views according to what we're talking about today in regards of what we're talking about, rather, in terms of the BRICS uh, New Development Bank? Do you think that uh, we can do something to ensure that everything that uh, the bank funds is on board and is actually uh, according to the interests of uh, uh, the uh, Africans or uh, the developing world? What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue or at Channel Africa One. That's at African Dialogue, or another hashtag is, or another handle is at uh, uh, Channel Africa One. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African Time. Remember, you can interact with us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa, and it's growing and growing and growing each day. So thank you to those who are actually going to that particular uh, Channel Africa page on Facebook. Also. So join us on Twitter at Channel Africa One. We also have an African uh, Dialogue handle. It's at African Dialogue. Just one word, at African Dialogue. And then until tomorrow, we'll be back same place, same time. Coming up is um, Africa Midday. We'll bring you the latest news on what's happening here on the continent of Africa.